This morning, we're going to continue on with the series on um, the church in transition. So we'll just pop that up. Um, just a brief recap from the first sermon on this, on this topic. Um, so like I've been mentioning in the, in the series, I really believe that the church is undergoing one massive transition at the, at the moment. And the way the church looks now is not the same way that the church is going to look in, in, the, in the coming decades. So the way that we do church and the way that we understand church is going to undergo a massive transformation. Um, I mentioned that transitions are not new, so God has been leading His people through transitions all throughout the ages. Since the church was birthed, um, as the years roll on, He keeps on beautifying His church. He keeps on moving His church forward into the things that He has in store for it. And so that means that the church has to keep passing through various transitions. So transitions are not new, but transitions always do bring something new. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a transition. If it was just the same old thing, it's not a transition. And so God brings something new to His church as He moves His church forward. We saw that transitions are difficult because um, people do struggle to leave old things behind and to move into new things. So we have that little graphic that we've been looking at. Um, And what makes um, transitions so difficult is you have the passing era and you have the coming era So two different ways of understanding things, two different ways of doing things, and then these two eras overlap, and you're caught in this awkward time in the middle, which is the the time of transition. And so you have some of the old, some of the new, and we're trying to figure out how to do this thing. And so that's definitely what the coming years are going to be like in the Church of God. And then transitions are also exciting. They're exciting because God is up to something, and that's a really good thing. If God never led His church through transitions, we wouldn't be able to experience the, the greater things that He has in store for us. And uh, like Jesus taught His disciples, we should be expecting the greater things because He said, for example, that we would do the same things that He did and even greater things. And of course, the church doesn't look like that yet. Um, there, there are pockets of it, there are moments of it where we see that, but there's so much more that He still has in store for us and He's busy building His church, building His temple, leading us into these things. So just a quick recap. The second sermon we looked at how He's building the Father's house. I'd love to encourage you to go and... Listen to that sermon if you missed it, uh, because there's some really important things there that we share that we believe God is um, leading the church into when it comes to transforming our culture as a church to reflect the Father's heart. Um, but today, I'm going to be talking about uh, let my people go. So let my people go. So, of course, this is a reference to the story of the Israelites being freed out of, of, of Egypt. Um, so the Israelites had been in slavery for, for 400 years. Um, they were breaking their backs as slaves, um, struggling under the really difficult conditions they were working in. Many of them were dying. Their children were being murdered. Um, it was really, really horrific circumstances. And the people of God were crying out to God to liberate them from their slavery in Egypt and to bring them out from under the oppression that, that, that they were in. And we're, we're told in the story that, that God's heart was um, moved by the cries of His people. His ear was inclined to it. And so he decided that now was the time for him to move. And so he raises up a leader for God's people in Moses. And he tells Moses that he needs to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let my people go so that they may go out into the wilderness to worship me. Um, and the Israelites knew that God had this promised land in store for them, this land that he was going to bless them with. They were going to live in abundance. And so um, Moses um, goes to Pharaoh he gives an announcement that the God of the Jews says that you must let his people go. Now, um, Moses is, oh, Moses, Pharaoh is very defiant. He's not so easily just going to be like, oh, okay, this random guy walks into my courts and says that some God announces that he, I must let his people go. Uh, he said, no, chump, that's not happening today. Um, and so God and Pharaoh end up having a bit, uh, we could say, locking horns with each other. And... Um, and God ends up sending all these various plagues, 10 plagues in total, um, amongst um, the, e- the Egyptians to basically put them in their place. And for them, um, specifically Pharaoh, to learn his lesson, actually give up and let um, the people go. And this continues on to the point where um, the economy of Egypt is just devastated. This incredible superpower um, is brought to its knees, and finally Pharaoh agrees that he's going to let these people go. And um, I'm not going to unpack more of the story there, but basically millions of people leave Egypt, um, plunder them of all their wealth, and then make their way towards the promised land. Now, if there's one thing that we can learn from the story is that when God says, let my people go, you better listen when he says, let my people go. 
um, that when God says that it's time to free my people, then his heart is going to burn to see that brought to pass, and he's not going to, to um, give up on that. And I believe that we as the church are, are in, a, in a, a season in the era where God's heart is burning to see his people freed, where God's heart is burning to see his people let go from a form of slavery that they are in. Now, many of you might be wondering what in the world I'm talking about when I talk about God's people as the church being let go and being, being freed from slavery. But what I mean specifically when, when I say that is that I think that God's people have been enslaved to a way of doing church that is not conducive with the mission of God. God's people have been enslaved to a way of doing church that is not conducive with the mission of God. And God wants to see His people let go. He wants to see them free. Now, in order to unpack this for us, um, I want to break it down in uh, clearer terms and explain something um, very important when it comes to the mission of God. And specifically, I want to flesh this out for us in comparing the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And hopefully, as we get this framework, it can help us to make sense a bit more of what I'm, of what I'm saying. So, in the Old Covenant, um, at the center of God's mission um, was, was, was Israel. And at the center of Israel was the, was the temple of God. So what God had told his people to do is that basically he would set them aside as his chosen nation, and he would give them this um, special way that they needed to live their lives, which was very clearly stipulated for them in the, in the law that was given to them. And they were told that if they were to be faithful to this law that had been entrusted to them, God would make them as a shining light to the nations. So he would bless them, he would prosper them, um, that he would, he would back them in, um, in uh, war, and um, all, their, all their needs would be met and above and beyond. And essentially, they would become this great, powerful nation and a light unto all the other nations. And the goal of all of this was that the surrounding nations would look at Israel and see that this God that these people serve must be an incredible God. He must be a great God. He must be a powerful God. And they would be compelled themselves to inquire as to who this God is. And um, then their own worship and their own service and all those things would be focused in on Israel and the temple that was at the, at the heart of it. So um, it was this centralizing force. It was this inward moving force that was old, um, in play in the Old Covenant mission. So let me read a text to you as an example from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 to verse 8. This is Moses talking to, um, to the Israelites. He says, Look, I've taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to, to possess. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, This great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to Him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? So they observe this nation, they see how blessed they are, and they go, wow, this must be a great nation, this must be a great God. And there's this inward moving force. The nations observe, and they move in towards Israel, move in towards the temple where they too participate in um, worship. And, um, and so a great example of that is the story of the Queen of Sheba. She comes from this foreign land, potentially Ethiopia, and she hears about Solomon and his wisdom and, and the great temple, and she comes and sees it for herself, is amazed at it, and then blesses them with all this wealth. So that's a, a, a picture of what that was supposed to look like as things played out in the Old Covenant. But when we get to the New Covenant, a major shift takes place, like massive shift, groundbreaking shift. It totally flipped the whole thing on its head and changed the way that the people were thinking about the mission of God. And and so we see this um, in Matthew 28 for as an, um, as, as, as an example. So Jesus dies, he raises from the dead, he gathers his disciples together. It's before the ascension when he goes up to heaven and he gives them very unmistakable, clear instructions. He says in Matthew 28, verse 19 to verse 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So it's go, you're going, and you're going to go and make disciples of all the nations. He says, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. See something very similar in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Again, right before the ascension, he's got his disciples gathered around him, and he says to them they would need to go into Jerusalem. They'd need to wait for the promised Holy Spirit that was going to empower them for the mission that laid ahead. 
that, that is laying ahead of them. It says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the early church didn't get it that quickly. It actually took them persecution to force them out of Jerusalem and properly start going to the ends of the earth. God needed to go and save a guy named Saul of Tarsus that wasn't a part of the original crew and make him specifically the evangelist to the Gentiles. So, so they, they, they didn't pick up on the massive paradigm shift all that quickly. But as we see what's going on, the Spirit of God wanted them to move outward. It wasn't about bringing people in anymore and having this nation that was flourishing at the center of things. It was about God resting with His power, resting with His Spirit on His people and then sending them, and then mobilizing them, and then enabling them to go and to make disciples of all the nations, from Judea to Samaria and beyond to the, uh, to the ends of the earth. So in the old covenant, at the center, you've got Israel and the temple. In the new covenant, at the center, you've got God's people, a spiritual family. In the old covenant, there's this inward working force. In the new covenant, there is this outward moving force. And so there is a... Um, a massive difference there. And um, <laughs> as, I, as I was preparing uh, this um, sermon, I was just thinking about on Friday, um, I, um, I took the kids to a playground and they have um, those merry-go-rounds there um, where I have way too much fun um, because I just load kids on this merry-go-round and then I try and make it go as absolute fast as I, as I, as I possibly can. And, um, and I promise my children love it. It's not just me loving it. But um, on um, Friday, I was, I was um, standing on the side of the thing, and I was pushing with, with one leg, just trying to get as fast as I could, and uh, obviously generating a whole bunch of outward-moving force, right, when, you, when you're spinning like that. And so I'm holding on, just going for it, going for it, making sure that I don't fly off. And then I noticed that some other child that's not one of my two children is hanging on with his legs in the air, just, to, just, <laughs> just two hands like that, and I, I didn't realize quickly enough, and his hand slipped, and he just went flying <laughs> off the edge of the merry-go-round, but he was one of those real, like, trooper little kids that thought it was the best thing ever, which I was very relieved when he got up laughing, um, but I, I, was, I was thinking about this because of the outward moving force of that merry-go-round. It was unmistakable. This thing, as you were spinning, it was not drawing you in. It was moving you out. And that is exactly what it has to be like in the new covenant. It's exactly what it has to be like in the church of God. When we're simply coming together and creating holy huddles and enjoying our time with one another and just caring about, you know, blessing each, 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 each other, then we're totally missing the point. We're totally missing the point. This is not an inward moving force. There's, there's parts of it that's, that's inward. That's the family. That's at the center of it all. Yeah, we're family. We build each other up. We enjoy each other. But this thing moves outward. We're taking this to the lost, we're taking this to the hurting, we're taking this to the broken, and even the way that we do church needs to be taken out, I believe, into the homes and not trapped inside our church buildings. I will unpack that a little bit more as we move on. So, I've got four main areas I want to flesh out for us that I believe God is going to be changing in the coming decades. The first is that we will look for Jesus in every disciple, we will look for Jesus in every disciple. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 18. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Everyone say, all together. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Say, each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they all together, the, the Spirit came and rested upon each one of them. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You get the point, right? It's, it's happening to each of them. They're all being anointed. This massive shift in the new covenant, the day of Pentecost. It's enabling every person. We read on verse 5. Now, though, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't, these, um, aren't all these who are speaking 
Galileans? How is it that each one of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all your residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Now pay attention again, look, look for the all references going on here. And it will be in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on Then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and I will pour out my spirit on my servants, uh, even on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. It's the day of Pentecost. It's this massive shift in the new covenant. It's the birthing of the church, and this is the declaration that is given. The Spirit of God is here to enable all of us to participate in the mission. And so he goes on, he references, he says, It'll be the sons and the daughters, the young men, the old men, even my sermons, the men and women. The point is not that the young men are the ones that are going to see visions and the old men are the ones that are going to dream dreams. It's, it's, that's not the point. He's saying that all these things, the activity of the Spirit is going to rest on every single person. The men and the women, the young and the old, the slave and the free, they are all going to participate in this great mission as the Spirit of God enables them. All of us, all of us, that are in the kingdom, all of us that are following Jesus. But unfortunately, this is not how we do church today. Unfortunately, this is not how we do church. We have strong leaders that we love following. We've got great teachers that we love listening to. We've got incredible worship leaders that we love worshiping with. And this is good, and we praise God for it. We're so grateful that He's blessed us in this way. But the Spirit of God is looking to work through more than just the teacher and more than just the strong leader and more than just the gifted worship leader. He is wanting to work through all of us. You know, if I were to go to, you know, some tribe in the absolute heart of the Amazon that had never set foot in a church, he doesn't know anything about Christianity, and I plucked him up from the heart of the Amazon and I, and I took him here to the church of the West, and we, we planted him down in the church, and we say, now, now spend one whole month amongst these people, observe what they do, observe the way that they relate to one another, watch their services, and then at the end of it all, I'd love for you to come back and tell me who you believe are the ones that are participating in the mission, or who are the ones that the Spirit of God has anointed for service. Please tell me who are the ones that are anointed for service. I guarantee you that that Amazonian jungle man would probably come out and he'll probably have a list of five to ten people and say that I've seen these guys in the front of the church. I've seen these guys standing up and, and being used by the Spirit. And um, they're the ones that are anointed for service. Now, we don't think like that. We know theologically we're all anointed for service and we all got our part to play and we talk about the stuff nonstop. But the issue is in the actual way that we're doing church. It's the way that we're doing church that isn't giving permission for everyone to play their part. Are we, are we, are we tracking with me? Is that making sense? The Apostle Paul spoke about this to the church of Corinth in no unmistakable terms. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 to verse 24, But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as He wanted, And if they're all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And now unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. So he says, we are all a body. Every single part of the body has an important part to play. I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We all have a really important part to play. And then he, like just just knowing the way that we act as humans, he then says, even the the, um, 
the unres what, what's the phrase? Un the, the unrespectable. Yeah, that is a word. For a moment, that didn't feel like a word in my head. Even the unrespectable parts have a part to play in the body. So check this out. This is how we operate as Christians. We go, where's the most dignified parts? Where's the most respectable parts? Let's get them up the front. Let's get them leading these ministries, and then we're going to follow them. And then we're going to get bored of them, so then we're going to go jump on YouTube and on Facebook and find a whole bunch of even more really dignified parts and a whole bunch of really more respectable parts, and we're going to listen to them, and we're going to follow them, and we're going to hear what, we have to, what they have to say. And Paul's saying, you're missing the point. The Spirit of God isn't just moving through the dignified parts. The Spirit of God isn't just moving through the respectable parts. It's even through the unrespectable parts. And if you're not looking for Jesus there, you're missing him. This is so important. Jesus that wants to work in your life and minister in your life is waiting for you to see him in the person sitting next to you in church. He's waiting for you to find him in the person that irritates the heck out of you. He's waiting for you to see him in the worship leader that's not your favorite worship leader and the preacher that you find slightly boring. He's waiting for you to open up your eyes, open up your ears, soften your heart, and see him in the brothers and sisters that are all around you. Because without that, we cannot grow into the fullness of what he actually has in store for us as God's people. You know, I was, I was out surfing, um, it's probably like two years ago now, and um, and I'm not, a, I'm not a great surfer. Like, I'd be somewhere between beginner and in, intermediate, even though I've been surfing since, like, I was in grade six. Um, so very slow learner. And, um, and I was out surfing, and there was this lady out there in the waves on this massive longboard, and she was, she was like, quite old, like, quite old lady. And she was also quite overweight. And I didn't see her catching any waves out there. She was just sitting on her board having a chat to people as they, as they paddled by. And um, I was trying to catch waves all around her and everything like that. And at one point, I paddled to catch this wave as, as, as it's coming in. And I just don't paddle hard enough or I was, my technique was wrong. And I didn't end up getting on the wave. The wave just passed by underneath me. And this lady turns over to me and she's like, hey... If you had stopped looking back over your left shoulder as you're paddling and look in front of you, you would have caught that wave. Now, to begin with, I'm offended. Because <laughs> it's the old chubby lady sitting out here not catching any waves that's telling me how to be catching waves. And so my ego's a little bit hurt. There were other surfers around that heard me getting lectured. And, um, and as I like, tried to catch a couple more waves and was unsuccessful, I thought, you know what, I'm going to listen to the lady and give it a crack. Unfortunately, she was right. I looked ahead of me, paddled for the wave, that next wave, I caught it. And uh, for me, it was, this is like this instant moment where the Spirit of God spoke to me on this very topic and was like, see, you know, when you're looking to only see me or hear from me, you know, in the, the great places, in these really significant good places, in the more honorable places... You're going to miss me. And that's what we need in church life. We need ears to hear. We need eyes to see. We need hearts that are soft, that is looking for Jesus in the people that are sitting next to us in church. That's how this body is going to grow. That's how we're going to move forward. And so let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. The second point I want to make is that church leadership will be focused on equipping and releasing a major shift that I think is taking place. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to verse 13. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So, the goal is maturity that is measured by the fullness that is in Jesus. It's going to happen through this unity and this knowledge of God's Son. And how do we get that? It happens when the saints are equipped for ministry by what we call the fivefold. There's mentioned here the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. 
I don't think in the church today we are nearly focused enough on equipping and releasing. Equipping and releasing. Firstly, it's incredibly rare to have the fivefold gifts actually working together in the church. They're all so intimidated by each other that they don't like working together. And then also, um, we tend to gather two of the gifts particularly in church. One is the pastor, because they're really good at the relational aspect of things and keeping people together and, and unified and building that sense of community and making people feel understood and, and known and, and shepherded. And so we, 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 we tend to gather them and make them our leaders in church. Or we tend to go and find the, the teachers because we want someone who's going to open up the Bible to us and, and teach it really clearly to us. And these tend to be the two main gifts that we, we, we take and we make them the leaders within the church. But that's not how it was intended to be. Paul tells us here is that there are these different giftings, and they're all supposed to work together for the purpose of equipping the people. So the people are supposed to learn how to themselves walk in apostolic energy, the energy that gets things started and creates environment for other things to thrive. The people are supposed to learn how to prophesy, but the prophets are supposed to teach them how to hear the voice of God and how to announce what God is saying. The pastors are supposed to pastor, but the people are supposed to also learn how to care for each other and how to support each other. You get the point, right? The gift does not exist for the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, just to go and be awesome at it. The gift exists for that, but also to equip the people to go and do the same as well. So it's so rare to see them working together in the church. But also I think part of the problem is that we're just not concerned with actually equipping people to do the work themselves. People would prefer to have the leaders do the ministry for them. I'll say that again in case you missed it. People prefer to have the leaders do the ministry for them. That, that's, that's part of why we don't see this equipping taking place, is because the people don't really want to get equipped. It's way easier, you know, just living your life and then rocking up to church, making sure you give some of your income so that you don't feel guilty about not doing more, and then just continue on doing, doing your life. But we need to have ministries that are focused on equipping because a ministry that is not focused on equipping is being drastically held back in its effectiveness to actually see the ministry of God move forward. What we love to do is, is gather the people. We gather them, and then we teach them, you know, like overfed ducks. They're just getting fattened, getting fattened, getting fattened for the slaughter. <laughs> now, are people just like fed, endlessly fed? I, I shared this a couple weeks ago, like, I'm tired of showing up every Sunday and just lecturing you. And just like over and over again, now I don't underestimate what the Spirit of God is doing in these moments. I know we all need to be encouraged from week to week. We all need to be built up. Like we, we all need to hear the Word of God being declared, yes, amen, 100%. But surely we could get away with a little bit less of it. A little bit less hearing once again how I'm supposed to live and actually going and living it. Our energy is so focused on the gathering and then the teaching instead of the actual equipping. Now, let me demonstrate this to you. Ben, can you come up? Is that all right? I'll get you to come up. And um, Tone Dog, just because you said something, come on up. <laughs> okay, so you're in, you're, in, you're in that corner. Tone Dog, you're in this corner. Now, Ben is going to do church the way that we tend to do church in the West. He's going to be the collector of people. It's like I said, when we collect people, we go and get them, we bring them in, and then we want our leaders to take care of them and like, do all the ministry stuff with them. And uh, Tone Dog over here is going to be the one that actually equips people. And so how this is going to work, I'm going to give him a bit of time. Ben's going to go and he's going to get someone. He's going to have to bring them back to his corner with him. Okay, but once he brings them back, they got to stay. And then Ben has to go and get someone else and bring him back. 
Tony is allowed to equip. So he's going to go and get someone, walk him back to his spot, but then that person can go with them and go and get people and bring them back to the spot. Okay, so you're all going to have to end up getting involved in this at some point, right? You all laughed at these two, but now you're all going to get involved. Okay, and we're going to see who wins the race. Okay? And none of you are allowed to tackle Tony or do anything like that to him, all right? So you guys get the point. If Tony collects you, you walk back with him, and then you go and get someone and bring him back. Ready, set, go. <laughs> very good, very good, okay. So we've got two here, we've got two there. Now Ben's going out again, collecting. Now we've got some people doing some equipping over here. Look at that. We've got three. We've got four. That's my father-in-law, everyone, in the black shirt there. Come on, Ben. Hurry up, Ben. Keep up. You're getting behind. Very good. Come on, Ben. Start running, mate. Come on. Yeah, yeah of course. You think ministry's easy? <laughs> Come on, keep working, keep working. Ben, come on. Come on, mate. This is terrible. Come on, look at that. Ben. You don't care about church growth, Ben. You don't care about church growth. Come on. Okay, 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 okay. You can pause where you're at. Just stop where you're at. Stop where you're at. Ben's not very good at his job. We need a new pastor, everyone. He's not. He's clearly, clearly not fit for the calling. But you see the difference? You see them? Just look, just look at the massive dif difference. That's how we're doing church. We're going and collecting people, bringing them into the church, handing them over to the leadership, and then saying, okay, stay here with the leadership. They're going to pastor you. They're going to care for you. They're going to meet all your needs. Da -da 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 -da. And this is what stuff's looking like. The church is dying in the West. So not only is this what's happening, what's the, 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 the young people are leaving church. So you ladies on the end there, you just go. Not that you aren't young on this end. do not mean anything like that. They're leaving church because they're tired of just sitting in the pews. They're getting really tired of just, you know, not feeling like this thing is actually working. There's meaning to this, and this thing's moving, and there's momentum. They're getting fed up with it, and so they're just leaving. So the church is dying in the West because we're just collecting. People are getting over it, and so they're going back to whatever they're doing, getting caught up in life. But when we equip people, when we get them participating in the work themselves, it's exciting. There's energy. There's momentum. People want to be a part of it. And that's exactly what the church of God should be like. Are we tracking? It's a big difference, right? Thank you. Good job, Ben. <laughs> so, this is the difference we've got. Linear growth, growth versus exponential growth. The linear line is that straight arrow that you see there. Ben going along, getting people, bringing them back. Getting one person, bringing them back. It feels good at the start because you look like you're, like, you're, you're taking off quicker. Because, you know, if you build a ministry that is really focused on gathering people, people will come. You know, you can throw conferences, you can get good speakers, you can get a really nice service going, and people will come. You can gather people like that. And so it takes off way quicker, and there's that sense of like, this is satisfying, this feels good. Look at all the people that are gathering here. But if it grows, it just continues on a linear trajectory like that. When it comes to equipping people, the growth is exponential. But it does not start that way. It starts slower because discipling people actually takes time. Unless you want to force them through like cattle and just make them sit in a particular, um, you know, equipping class one night a week and that's all you're doing you're not really going to see this thing take place. You need to actually disciple. People need to get into your life. They need to get to know you. You need to get to know them. They can't just be a ministry project. They've got to actually become a friend. And that takes time. And it doesn't feel good at the start because we want to see this thing just like 
take off, be explosive, a massive, amazing ministry taking place. But you can't do that with people. People take time to be loved. They take time to get the message. Jesus spent three years with his disciples, and they were still blockheads by the end of it. Right before his ascension, he's like, they're asking him, is now the time that you're going to come and wipe out the Romans and establish your great rule on earth? They still didn't get it. Three years in. It takes time. But when people get it, when they get a heart for it, when they are discipled, when they become like Jesus, and they get involved in the work as well, like we saw before, it's explosive what takes place. And we don't realize how much we operate in this mindset of what Ben was operating in before. We don't realize it, how much we're actually stuck there, and we're not free living, as, living in the way that God has intended for His church. You know, someone, we get this all the time, and I don't mean there's anything bad towards any of you in the church if you've done this, but we get this where people go through a hard time, and they'll message us on Facebook or give us a call and say, hey, so-and-so is going through a really tough time at the moment. I think you should reach out as the pastor. Now, yes, I can reach out, and yes, I'm sure that like, I, I, God can use me to help this person, but have you reached out? Like the Spirit of God highlighted their struggle to you. You saw it. Have, have you reached out? Someone goes through a, a really tough time financially, and people contact the church. And like, is there any way the church can get behind them and financially support them? Yes, there is ways that the church can do that. But you know what's so much more effective is when we as God's people live with open hands, when we live sacrificially, when we live generously, when we see someone in need, we rally and get behind them. The church of God was never meant to be just the central organization where the leaders are. That's not it. The church is us, the people. We're the ones called to live this way, caring for one another, giving financially, spending time with each other, discipling each other. And so I believe that there's this shift taking place at the moment where church leadership will be more focused on equipping and releasing in the coming decades. The next thing I want to point out, third major shift I believe is taking place, is that God's people will be encouraged and enabled to minister to one another more freely. Let me explain what I mean by that as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to verse 12. It says, now there are different gifts but the same Spirit, there are different ministries but the same Lord, and there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as, he's, as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts and, all the parts, and and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. As some of you say, well, we could never see the church operating like this. That that was the Bible, that is not today. We could never see that taking place in the West. We could never see the church actually having everyone participating like that. And I agree with you if we keep doing things the way we're doing it. Unfortunately, it's not all that practical to do something like that here in a Sunday gathering. It's hard to facilitate something like that with this amount of people all gathered together in a setting like this with the expectations that we have for how things are supposed to go. Yes, it is really, really hard, but that's part of what I think God is changing. I don't think that this main gathering is going to be the main thing of the church moving forward. I do believe these main gatherings will keep going. Sunday services will probably keep going. But I think the main thing, the main focus of the believers is not going to necessarily be coming together for these big gatherings where we can worship together and hear teaching. I think the main thing will become those places when we gather with one another in a context where it feels like family and we all play a part in building one another up. I think that's what's going to become the main thing. And God's already doing it. 
in the earth. The church in underground China over the past decades, this is what was going on. Today, there's explosive discipleship-making movements happening in places like Iran. The, fo- the fastest-growing church in the world is in, in Iran. There's India, also places of, in um, India where this is taking place. Tens of thousands of people coming to faith every single year. And you know what they got going on? They're gathering in homes. They're living like family with one another. And they're all playing a part in building one another up in the spirit. One lady will pipe up and, and sing a hymn. Another person will stand up and and give a testimony of a way that the Lord has worked in their life just this week, a breakthrough that they've seen. Another person will open up the scriptures and they'll share something that the Lord has been teaching them. There's a space in the homes where we're allowing the Spirit to do what He needs to do through all the various people, using their gifts, and this is explosive in the way that it is growing the church. The fastest growing churches in the world are doing this very thing. God is already doing it. The way that we're doing church at the moment is not conducive with that. And so I think we need to go to the Lord and ask Him, Lord, how can this change? Because we don't just need more cell groups, we don't just need more Bible study gatherings. You know, cell groups where we, where we gather and we all listen to an audio message from someone overseas that's fantastic and good, and then we reflect on it. It's great. It's amazing. God has used it. But we need more than that. The Bible study gatherings where there's a gifted leader in the church that goes and opens up the scriptures and does some more teaching. It's good, but we need more than that. We need every believer participating and giving space for the Spirit to work through them to build the church. And will it be complex? It will absolutely be complex. Will it be messy? 100% it'll get messy. Will people create cultish followings after themselves and be wolves in sheep's clothing and lead believers astray? Yes, they will. It's going to happen. When you decentralize things like that, you don't control it so strictly from the center. That stuff is part of what happens. But the gains outweigh the cost by immeasurable amounts. The fourth thing I wanted to point out, I think is shifting, and I sort of already touched on it, is the experience of genuine community will be valued more than attending services. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to verse 46. This is the early church. Peter stands up that day of Pentecost, preaches the sermon, 3,000 people get saved, and God is continually adding to their number. And then Luke gives us this description of what's taking place as they're actually gathering with one another. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to verse 46, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders were being performed to the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the church is just birthed, and what do we see taking place? They're living like a real community like a real community. They're living like real family. They're living like a village that are in each other's lives. They're breaking bread from house to house. They're praying with one another. They're heading up to the temple together to go and and meet with one another there and worship God. When someone's in need, people are selling off stuff in order to provide for one another's needs. It was this incredible picture of family, real family. Now, this is at the heart of God's plan in the New Covenant mission, is that at the center is family, 
and that family have an outward moving force into the world. It's family at the heart of it all. People who know each other, people who love each other, people who sacrifice for each other, people who bear with one another like we all do in our families. You all had Christmas recently. You all bared with someone. I know you did. That's family. Not me. My family's amazing. (laughs) You guys, your families. (laughs) Heart is family, real family, and then from that place we go and we love the hurting and the broken, we bring about reconciliation and and transformation. I think we'll start to value that more than what we just value attending these meetings, because again, as good as these meetings are, as much as God blesses them and He's used them all throughout the past, the fact of the matter is we can't experience genuine community by just by attending here on Sundays. It helps. But we all know that genuine community goes so much further. It goes so much deeper. It hurts so much more than what we experience here on a Sunday morning. I'm not saying we all need to live in a commune with one another. I'm not saying we all need to become communists and not own anything for ourselves. But we do need a far greater expression of family. We need a village mindset. We need a counterculture that lives slow enough to be involved in each other's lives. I mean, that point, that's an important point. We need a counterculture that lives slow enough to actually be involved in one another's lives. If you're going to live like... You know, the way that we do with our capitalistic mindset, with the way that we work, with the way that we spend our time, with the priorities that we have, you're not going to have time to live as family and live in community. And so part of this is we need to actually be a counterculture. We need to actually be people who aren't just caught up in the rat race, who aren't just pursuing the same things that the world is pursuing because we recognize that their values are out of order. If you keep running like this, you keep doing life like this, it's destructive, it's harmful. So let's slow down enough so that we can actually be together. That when you notice someone in need, the first thing you think is not, oh my goodness, fire out. If only I had some time this week to help them out. But instead, you've got the ability to to go and to be with them and to sacrifice and to help them. So we need to be a counterculture and we need to create space for one another in our homes We need to see hospitality revived in the church. So these are four main areas that I think God is moving, that he's changing things. As I've said to you, each week now in this transition series, go and ask the Lord for yourself. Go and ask him for yourself what he's up to. Go and ask him for yourself if this is what he is doing. And like I've said in past weeks, even if you don't believe that the Spirit of God is doing this, I hope you can recognize for yourself that at least this would be the better way moving forward. This is not new. This is here in the, in the Scriptures. It's here for us to see, plain and clear. I think this is the better way moving forward. These priorities are the better priorities to have moving forward. And so... Even if you don't believe the Spirit is doing it, at least getting on board with it is totally worthwhile. But I think this is what God is up to, and I really believe that He is saying to His church to let my people go. Let my people go. The way that we're doing church, the way that we're thinking about church is not conducive with the mission that He has given us. I've got some ideas of ways we can change things and do things better. We've got some ideas. You can read the DNA doc about ways that we want to do things differently. But I am certain I only have a fraction of the picture. I think there's a lot more the Spirit of God is going to reveal to us that He's going to reveal to you. Because Jesus is at work in you. 
He might give you insight on how we can do this thing better. So I want to give you an invitation to please, like, however long this thing takes, like, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board for this for the next, you know, four decades. You know, like, my agreement with the Lord is like, Lord, I know some of you won't be able to join, uh, join me for that, for the four-decade journey, but, uh, but I've, I've, um, I've said to the Lord, Lord, I would be so stoked if the church that my grandchildren inherit one day has moved forward from the church that I inherited. That would be incredible. So we don't need to rush this thing. We don't need to go crazy about it. We can walk patiently with the Lord, but I want to invite you to truly go before the Lord and ask Him to show you what He wants to change, how He wants to move things forward, and how we can participate as a church in um, living in the freedom that He has for us as His people. Does that sound good? Awesome. So good. Music team, if you could please come up. If you could please stand. Our Father, we just ask that you, would, that you would be at work within your church, bringing these things about. Lord, our hearts are hungry. Lord, we are, we are longing to walk in the fullness, Lord, that you have in store for your people. Lord, so much of it feels so out of reach at the moment and um, knowing what to change, how to change it, when to change it, Lord, these things can um, feel overwhelming as well. And, Lord, we need you to be our good shepherd. Lord, we are just the sheep of your pasture and we want to follow your voice um, where, just where, wherever you want to lead, Lord. So Lord, we humble our hearts before you. We acknowledge, Lord, how, how desperately we need you. And we ask that you would breathe your life into us afresh, God. We need that fresh wind, Lord. We need that fresh flame from you. And again, Lord, we invite you to change the things that you need to change in us. Lord, we sur surrender it all to you. Holy Spirit, for you to correct the things that you want to correct. Yeah, we bless you, Lord. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus.